Good morning, Active. How are you? It is so good to be with you this morning. My name is Mike. I serve on the team, and what a gift it is to have you here at Active today. Whether you've been here a really long time, welcome back. And for those of you that are here for the very first time, welcome home. We believe that this is the the start of your better story. And so please stop by Guest Central. We'd love to meet you, give you a free gift. We'd love to do life with you. Thanks for giving us a shot. Our hope is that this first time turns into a really long time for you. I want to pray some words over you, and then we'll dive into the story of God together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these next few minutes. Thank you for what you're going to teach us and say to us, how you're going to challenge us and stir us. And I pray that we would be awakened to the person that you want us to be. We would be awakened to the people that are around us and how we can serve and love them well. And I pray that we would honor you in all of that that we would be people that you've created us to be, that we would love well and serve well and give well. God, may we be people that choose compassion, courage, grace, and peace. I pray for the stories that we're carrying right now, that they wouldn't distract us from what you want to say to us. May we wrestle in a healthy way with what it is that you have for us and the things that we're carrying in our heart. And may we be different in how we walk out of here than how we walked in. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen and amen. You know, one of the most objectionable, maybe irrational things about our faith to those that don't choose to follow Jesus like we do, I think think it's this. We turn to God when bad things happen. Believing God could have kept them from happening in the first place. Have you ever thought about that? Something bad happens and we turn to God. And we believe that God could help make that bad thing and turn it into something good. But we also believe that God could have done something to prevent that bad thing. And there are those outside of our faith, there are those that are watching you and watching me that are looking at that and see that maybe as irrational or maybe objectionable, and it might be the reason why they struggle with saying yes to Jesus because of that reality. And it might be the reason why some of you struggle with your faith today. And the truth is, is when we think about this reality, at the same time, I think a lot of us, we don't feel like we have a choice in the matter. And what I mean by that is, who else are we going to turn to? Where else are we going to go? Like, can, can you solve it? Can they solve it? Can a book solve it? Can a philosophy solve it? The reason why we turn to God is because where else would we turn in these moments that are hard and that are heavy? And not only that, when someone suffers a great loss, isn't it true that we ask God to comfort them in that great loss? And at the same time, believing that God could have prevented the great loss? Maybe for you, that's where the tension lies in your faith. Maybe for you, you didn't realize that there was that tension. But this is something that we participate in as followers of Jesus. We turn to God, wanting God to make the, the, the bad thing good again, believing that he could have prevented the bad thing from happening in the first place. So the question is, 
Are we crazy? <laughs> are, we, are we naive? Like, what is it about you and what is it about me that causes us to turn in that direction? I have a friend who uh, is a part of a, ch- a church and, and serves there and loves there and gives there. And he shared with me recently that there was a mom and a dad who went through a very tragic loss of their kids. A, a loss so terrible that they, they couldn't even talk about it because it was just so awful. And so my friend knows them and reached out to them and they had a conversation on the phone and the dad, the, the father, the friend of my friend, said these words to my friend. He said, you know, it doesn't really matter what God does now because he didn't do it then. This is a guy that knew all the verses. This is the guy that had everything memorized. He was the guy that would pray and pray out loud. He was the guy that would stand on the stage and teach the word of God. He would lead the small groups, the connection groups. He would be a part of Rooted. He was the one that was serving all the time. He was the one that gave and would give extravagantly if they had something like the future of active. He was somebody and his wife alongside of him. They were people that were invested and that they knew God and they followed Jesus. They were people that you would turn to in moments where you just didn't understand what was taking place. And my friend spoke to them and heard these words from this father and he responded my friend responded in what I thought was some of the most helpful words in that moment he said this if your faith doesn't survive this that's understandable now maybe you would push back in your mind to me and you would say well if they lost faith maybe they didn't have faith in the first place right and that would be an appropriate question to ask but I would answer that question with a question to you what would you do How would you respond if you lost your children tragically in a situation that is so devastating and so hard and so heavy? What would you do? And wouldn't you need someone on the other side of you to say, hey, if you don't have faith after this, that would be understandable because this is hard and this is heavy. And yet at the same time, they all believed that God would comfort them, believing also that God could have prevented the thing that they needed comfort for. My friend called them about a month or two after everything went down. And he was stunned, shocked by what he heard on the other side of the phone. The father, as they were talking, began to share about what God had been doing in their life the last two months. He shared how their faith had been strengthened and He shared about how the the roots of their faith had grown. And then he said something that I thought was so powerful. He said, you know, what I learned in this time of tragedy is that I don't want to put my faith in religious platitudes. And I don't want to put my faith in promises that I assume are actually promises, but maybe they're not. What my wife and I have found is God. We found God in all of this. And not that they weren't following Jesus before and not that they weren't honoring God, but they found God in all of this. And maybe that's you. 
Maybe you want to be someone like that or are someone like that. Maybe you know a story of someone who has gone through a a terrible tragedy or loss or difficult circumstance, and their faith is inspiring, and you would have said to them the same thing my friend said to these friends. Man, if you lose faith after this, if you don't have faith, that wouldn't be unreasonable. Or maybe you're in a season where you hope to have a recovery like this. It may help you to know that those men and women, young and old, who brought us the story of Jesus, they lived a life similar to the life that you live. And they had incredible, difficult valleys that they had to walk through. Valleys filled with random acts of violence. Valleys filled with unnecessary suffering. Valleys filled with unanswered prayer. And yet... They believed. And not only believed, but they persevered. What is that? Hope. That's hope. That's not wishing upon a star or crossing our fingers or believing that things will get better, positive thinking and believing that things will get better. They had hope. And what they learned and what we will learn is that hope is a superpower. And starting today and over the next few weeks, I want to talk about hope with you. And I want to talk about how hope can be your superpower. So today I want to define hope for you. And I want to share two reasons why you can have hope in amongst all of the unanswered prayers and unexplainable situations. Why you can hold on to hope even if things don't make sense. Why you can turn to God believing that God will make the bad thing good and also believing that God could have prevented the bad thing from happening in the first place. And so if you have a Bible with you, or you have access to the Bible app on your phone, I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 1. And as you turn there, here's the scene that we're about to enter into. We're going to a city called Jerusalem in a real time, in a real place, and something random and something terrible and something awful has happened. And it caused the first century Christians to ask this question, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, what are you up to? Here's the story. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. It reads this way. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. This King Herod is Herod Agrippa from history. We know him because history teaches about him, and we see that he is somebody who is attacking the first century Christians and taking their lives, and this is something that he learned from his grandfather, because his grandfather is the same Herod that we learn about in the story of Jesus's birth, the Christmas story, that we all think is nice and kind and cuddly, but the Christmas story actually has a murder of young men and young women from birth to age two happen in that story. Now, many of us know that. Some of us might just have our eyes open to that. King Herod was threatened by the narrative that there was a new king being born who was Jesus. And so he went to have all of these young men killed. Now, 
that may not have hit you as deeply as it has today two weeks ago. But because of the reality of what's happening in our world, that hits us in an even deeper emotion because of the things that we've seen and heard over the last week and a half in Israel and in Gaza and in that area. Herod Agrippa learned how to eliminate those who were a threat to him from his grandfather, and he is taking the lives of first century Christians. And the first victim we read in verse 2 is James, the brother of Jesus, who was put to death by the sword. And when he saw that this met with the approval of the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. And after arresting Peter, he put him into prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And there it is. There it is, friends. One of the places, first century Christians, first century believers, and the story they're telling connects with our story. And here's how. They are asking God to deliver Peter from prison just days after God didn't deliver James. They are asking God to do something, something that he didn't stop, by the way, the arrest of Peter, they're asking God to set Peter free from prison. They're just like you. They're just like me. And maybe in that crowd, and perhaps maybe in our crowd here today, they're asking the same questions that we would be asking. Like, wait a second, didn't God not protect James? So why would we expect God to protect Peter? Maybe they're just crazy. Maybe they're just crazy like you are. Or perhaps maybe we're crazy like they are. Here's what you need to know. Their crazy got you the story of Jesus. Their crazy allowed you and I to know the story of Jesus today in 2023. They were the ones that were there, they saw it, they experienced it, they learned about it, they wrote it down, and they wrote it down so that you would know and that I would know so that we may have life in the name of Jesus. So maybe they're not as crazy as we think. And maybe you're not as crazy as you feel. And maybe their faith wasn't misplaced, right? And maybe your faith isn't misplaced either. I, I love this narrative in the document of Acts because it's, it's comforting to me in a weird way. And, and here's what I mean. When we read about what happened in the first century in just these few verses, what we discover is that those in the first century that followed Jesus were not immune to random, inexplicable tragedy and loss. And in spite of believing that God could keep those things from happening, they turned to God for help after they happened. They're just like you. We're just like them. And, and here's, here's what you need to know. They didn't turn to God because it made sense. They turned to God because of one thing that didn't make sense. The crucifixion of Jesus. 
The worst possible thing happened to the best possible person. Something that they were afraid was going to happen to them. Something that they were afraid would happen to their families, to their friends. Something that they believed that they should pray to ask God to prevent. And we don't have documentation of them praying specifically for God to prevent the crucifixion. But you know that there were moments where they thought, we need to turn to God to prevent our Savior Jesus from going to the cross. And maybe they gathered together in private asking God, Would you stop this thing from happening? And God didn't answer their prayer. Why? Because this was the plan from the beginning. Jesus on the cross and bringing forgiveness of sins and salvation for everybody and anybody was the plan from the beginning. And that's why God didn't answer that prayer. Because without it, we don't have salvation. Without it, we don't have forgiveness. Without it, we don't have the greatest display of love ever seen. And that caught the attention of those first century Christians. It caused them to pause and reconsider everything, and it may do the same thing for you. So if you find yourself praying to God, even though God didn't come through about the thing that you were praying that God would come through for. You're in good company. You're in good company with James and John and Mary and Mary of Magdalene. You're in good company with Nathaniel and Andrew. You're in good company with Peter. Now, spoiler alert, Peter actually isn't killed by Herod. He escapes. We'll talk about that in a moment. And we know that he isn't killed because history teaches us that he's not killed. And the scriptures remind us that he isn't killed by Herod in this moment because he writes two letters that we know of as First and Second Peter at the end of the New Testament. And when he writes these letters... Peter had already been arrested multiple times. He was a fugitive on the run. He was somebody whose life was threatened. He was somebody who had been beaten. He was somebody who had been really, really scared of what Rome would do to him. And so he was constantly on the run, didn't leave the area, continued to lean in and serve people, even though his life was on the line. And then he writes two letters of hope and of power to the first century Christians. And the first letter is 1 Peter And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, here's how he opens up his letter. In light of all that they're facing, in light of all that they're suffering, he says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's been arrested, he's been beaten, he's had his life threatened, he's had his family threatened, and yet he says, praise be to God, and he calls God his father. The same God that didn't prevent the things that were happening to him, and yet he's still turning to that God and loving that God and praising that God. And then he gives us the reason why. Verse 3, he says this, In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope. Peter says, there's nowhere else to turn. So I'm going to turn to the one who I saw die. I'm going to turn to the one who gave his life for me. 
because that's where hope is found. And not only is he a God who came and gave his life, but he is also a God who has defeated death. Listen to what he says at the end of verse 3. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's the reason why he has hope. The crucifixion caught his attention. The resurrection changed his life. The crucifixion caused him to pause. The resurrection caused him to move. The crucifixion took his breath away. The resurrection gave his breath and allowed him to live. And this is why Peter turns to Jesus. And he says, yeah, I know that there are moments where your prayers are not answered the way that you have wanted them to be answered. And I know the randomness of life hits you in ways that you don't expect, in ways that are difficult and painful, and yet you can have hope. And the reason why you can have hope is because there is a God who sent his son, who died on a cross and rose again, and that resurrection defeated the death, the the death that's coming in your direction and the death that came in his direction. He has power over that. And so I'm going to turn to him in those moments where I really am struggling, and in those moments where I believe that he could have done something but didn't do something, what Peter is saying to you and what Peter is saying to those first century Christians is that our hope is found in an event. The event is the resurrection. Your hope isn't found in the church. Your hope isn't found in the Bible. Your hope isn't found in the theology. Your hope isn't found in a doctrine. Your hope is found in a person, and that person is resurrected from the grave. This is who we follow. And then the impact on your life and on my life is incredible. Listen to what he says in verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now you for a little while may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. You have hope in amongst all of this pain. And God sees that pain and sees that suffering and sees those trials. And in amongst all of that, you can celebrate and have joy. And the reason why is because there was a crucifixion that caught our attention and there was a resurrection that changed our life. What the first century Christians would say to you and to me today is nothing can stop you. Nothing can get in your way. Nothing will get in the way of what God wants to do in you and through you. Not the threats, not the fear, not even death, because you belong to Jesus. And when you belong to Jesus, what's true of Jesus is true of you. These first century Christians were crazy because they would say things like, what are you going to do, Rome? You're going to kill me? And here we are in 2023 and we're like, yeah, that's what they could do. They could kill you. A lot of us as followers of Jesus live with a whole lot of fear. And it's interesting to me that the number one command of Jesus in the New Testament is not to not be afraid. And yet for a lot of us as followers of Jesus, we live with all sorts of fear and all sorts of panic and all sorts of worry and all sorts of anxiety. And yet the first century Christians may have felt the way that we felt, but nothing stopped them because they believed if they were to be killed, then they knew that they would have life after this life because the God that they follow is a God who not only defeated death on the cross, but resurrected from the grave as well. The crucifixion, it caught their attention. The resurrection changed their life. And the invitation that Paul is inviting us to consider, inviting us to see, 
is that this life is just the beginning. This life is just the start. That, that this life isn't all that there is. But while we're here, we live in such a way that's powerful and, and effective. What Peter would want you to know is that grief and trials and random acts of violence and unanswered prayers isn't evidence that God isn't listening. But there's actually a greater purpose. Listen to what he says in verse 7. These have come to prove genuineness of your faith, that it may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, as you suffer and as you face difficulties, let your light shine. Wait a second, Jesus. Really hard to let my light shine. I know! And that's why your light will shine brighter than it ever has as you go through grief and trials and great loss. And what it will do is not draw attention to you, but it'll draw attention to the one who is working in you and through you. I'll put it this way. The way you live through suffering points to the God who is bigger than your suffering. It's why when you see someone going through something heavy and something difficult and something hard, it's why you're inspired by them. And if you look a little bit deeper and ask one more question, you'll find out that it's not them. But it's the God that they believe in and the Savior that they follow. It's the Jesus that they talk about. And they understand that the goal of their life is to not show off their story to you. The goal of their life is to show off the story of God through them to you. And then Peter, Peter finishes with what I think are really helpful words, because remember, we didn't get to see Jesus like Peter saw Jesus. He saw him alive, walking, eating, living, turning water into wine, healing people. He saw him die. He saw him resurrect. It's why he wrote down these things. Because he wants you to know that your belief isn't in vain. It's not in something that you're wishing upon. It's in a real person. But listen to what he says to those who have not seen Jesus like he saw Jesus. He says, though you haven't seen him, you love him. Peter's blown away by that. He honors that. Acknowledges your courage. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. He's saying to you, he's saying to me that our suffering, that our struggle in this life doesn't have to undermine our confidence in God, the God who has given us life. That we can have hope because this God caught our attention through the crucifixion and changed our life through the resurrection. He defeated death and he rose from the grave. In fact, the first century Christians had a phrase that they would say often to each other as a reminder of who it is that they are and who it is that they worship and what it is that they're doing. They would say, hey, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ is coming again. As you're facing this great loss, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ is coming again. As you're going through this difficult time, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ is coming again. And they weren't just words that they would memorize. They weren't just words that they would say to each other to make each other feel better. They believed it. And it changed the world. And here's how you know, because you're at a church in 2023 learning and loving Jesus. 
They brought the story of Jesus to you and to me. Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ will come again. It may seem crazy, but it's called hope. Now, can we pause for just a moment? I don't want to gloss over the fact or move past the reality that whatever it is that you're carrying, whatever it is that you're facing at your job, in your home, as you parent, in your relationships, in your marriage, as you date, it's hard. It's heavy. The loss that you've gone through, you can't even talk about it. And hope doesn't ignore that. Hope doesn't pretend it didn't happen. Hope just invites you to turn to the one who can do something about it. Even though you believe that he could have done something prior to you needing the hope and the comfort. Because where else are you going to go? There are moments in your faith that are not faith, they don't feel like faith-filled moments where you turn to God anyway. And you bring all sorts of questions and curiosity to God. And that's not insulting to God. It doesn't make God mad. Your doubts don't make God afraid of you. And your doubts don't make you any less of a follower of Jesus. You bring your doubts to God because that's where you should bring them. You bring your curiosity to God because that's how you love the Lord your God with all your mind. I find it fascinating when bad things happen in our lives. And one of the first decisions we make is we stay away from environments like this. And we think that's going to help us? This is where we find help together. This is where we find hope together. Don't stay away. Lean in. That's what Peter's saying. Listen, my life is on the line. I've been threatened. My family's been threatened. I'm a fugitive. I don't get to see them anymore. And yet I have hope because Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ is coming again. And it doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make it simple. But we know that we have a God who is with us and he's for us. And the reason why we can believe that is because those who came before us did that. Even though James was killed, even though the followers of Jesus were asking for Peter's release, believing that God could have prevented that, they still turned to God. Now, if you don't know the rest of the story, it's pretty fascinating in Acts chapter 12. They're praying for Peter's release, and Peter is with all of these Roman guards around him. In the middle of the night, Peter sees the, the chains that are on his arms fall off. And then he sees what looks like a, a human, and he says it's like maybe an angel or a ghost. He's not really sure. It begins to lead him out of the prison. And as he gets up, he's watching the doors of the prison open up. You ever had a dream where you're like, is this, is this real? Is this not real? Years ago, my son was a huge fan of Ninjago. It's like a Lego thing that was a cartoon, and you can get Legos for it. And one of the first nights that we moved into our new house, I heard someone out in the kitchen messing around. And so I walked out there, and my son is standing at the sink. And I went, Gavin, what are you doing? And he goes, and I was like, I don't, I don't know what you're saying. Like, you're mumbling. What are you doing? And he turns to me so frustrated because he already told me what he was doing. And now he has to clarify. And he said, Dad, I'm looking for my Ninjago legs. And I said, your Ninjago legs? And he goes, yes, they're missing. Look, 
And then in that moment, I realized he's either drunk or he's sleeping. I'm not sure. We don't have alcohol in the house, so I leaned in the direction of he's sleeping. And we put him back to bed. And we talk about that moment pretty often because he's our sleepwalker around the house. There are moments where I've had it in my life where I've, I've woken up on top of the washer and dryer when I was a kid and like freaked out. Like, what am I doing out here? Have you ever had a dream where you're like, is this real? Is this not? Am I in Neverland? Is that Peter Pan? Right? Like, who's leading me out of this thing? And Peter had that same moment. And then suddenly he's led out of the prison and he's led into the middle of the courtyard. And then he realizes, oh, this is real. And the one that's leading him is gone. And so Peter does what anybody would do in that moment. He goes to what's familiar. And we read in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, that he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And Peter knocks on the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed and she ran back without opening the door. This is what I love about the, the, the scriptures is that they're as human as you and I are. And she exclaims, Peter's at the door. Now remember, they're praying to God to release Peter from prison, also believing that God could have prevented that, but they turn to God anyway, and they're praying and asking God to release Peter from prison. And Rhoda, the servant, comes and says, Peter's at the door, and they respond as faithful followers of Jesus, and they say, you're out of your mind. You're crazy, girl. Come on, let's keep praying for Peter that he would be released. And when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, well, it must be his angel or his ghost. He must be dead and he's coming back to tell us that he's dead. That's, that must be happening. Hey, let's keep praying for Peter's release. What faithful people, right? You thought you struggled with your faith and you thought you weren't a faithful follower of Jesus. You ain't got nothing on the first century, Christians. And yet they keep turning to God. And then Peter kept insisting, kept knocking. And when they opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished. Weren't you just praying for this? And now you're surprised by this? Friends, this is why you should never look at yourself and go, well, man, I had some doubt. Well, man, I had some questions. Because you are exactly like those who came before us. You're crazy like them. I'm crazy like them. We have hope. And hope sometimes can't be contained in the boundaries we want it to be contained in. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. And he described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Then he says, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. And then he left for another place. And this was one of the last times that they ever saw Peter alive. Now, this is such a funny, funny ending to a miraculous story, right? Like we could put a little bow on this, the band could come out, we could start the fog and have a little bit of music underneath and go, and so this is why you should have hope. But the thing that I want to address is maybe the question that they were thinking in that time that perhaps you're thinking in this time. Why doesn't God do that anymore? Miraculously, chains fall off, led by an angel, doors open. It's like Mission Impossible. It's like Ethan Hunt, like he's getting out of prison. Like how come God doesn't do that in your life anymore? That's my question. How come God doesn't do that in my life anymore? And perhaps those first century Christians asked the same question with a little bit of a twist. How come God didn't do that for James? I'm sure James's mama wanted him out and safe and not dead. 
there are questions that we have in regards to God that I think are totally appropriate. But I also think that the answers that we're seeking may not ever be emotionally satisfying. And they didn't get an emotionally satisfying answer either. And yet, it didn't diminish their confidence in God. They asked the questions, they had the doubts, they wondered, they were curious, and yet, they continued to turn to their Heavenly Father. Because the crucifixion got their attention, and the resurrection changed their life. And their confidence was not shaken. So what about you? Where do you place your confidence? Where do you go when things are painful and awful and random acts of moments that you didn't expect or you can't explain come and hit you? What do you do? You do? If you don't remember anything of this conversation today, remember this, that there is hope even when there isn't an explanation. And the first century Christians would affirm that because of the way that they lived. They would say to you and they would say to me that your hope is not in vain because it's in a risen Savior. It's not in a theology. It's not in a book. It's not in a doctrine. It's not in a church. It's in an event, an event where the person of Jesus resurrected from the grave. It's why you and I can have hope. It's why we have the Bible. It's why we have church. You're not in a religion, friends. You are a part of the story of God. You are part of the kingdom of God. You are part of something that doesn't exist without the resurrection. The crucifixion gets our attention. The resurrection changes our life. Which is why, if we're going to define hope, I would define it this way. The hope is placing your confidence in God. Hope is placing your confidence in God. Hope is placing your confidence in God. Believing that God will comfort even after you believe that he could prevent the thing that, need, that needed comforting. That God will make the bad thing good even though you believe that God could have prevented the bad thing. Hope is placing your confidence in God that you turn to him in any in every situation. And we learn that that's the best way to live because those who came before us were crazy like us. And we get to choose to be crazy like them. A couple of questions, and then I want to pray for you. First question, continue the conversation as you go to lunch today, talk with your spouse today, your kids today, talk with your significant other today, talk with your friends. First question. Has your faith ever taken a hit because of a random, unnecessary, unexplainable suffering? And if so, did you recover? And how did you recover? And if you're willing, I would love to hear about it. You can email me at mike at activechurches.com. And if you have space and time this week, I would love to hear about how your faith took a hit and how you recovered. 
And with your permission, I would love to share some of those over the next few weeks. Second question. Why are we so prone to connect our faith or confidence in God to how well things are going in life? Third question. This is kind of homework. You're not graded, though. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. I want to invite you to read that. And then consider this question. What does the author encourage the readers to connect their faith to? Hope is placing your confidence in God. So may you turn to God, even though you believe that the reason why you're turning to God could have been prevented by God himself. And may you place the weight of your life, the pressure of your life, may you place the confidence of your life in the hands of Almighty God. And then don't miss next week because we're going to talk about who needs hope. Let me pray some words over you. Heavenly Father, may you be our confidence. May you be the one we turn to when things don't make sense. May you be the one that we turn to when we can't explain why things happened. May you be the one that we look to because there's no one else to look to. May we be people that in our doubts, in our questions, in our curiosity, we would not allow it to get in the way of our relationship with you but in fact, use those moments to lean in. Use those moments to turn to you. May our confidence be placed in you, God. May our trust be placed in you, God. And may we be crazy like those who came before us. God, would you comfort those that have gone through a great loss? Would you comfort those that are struggling and suffering? Would you comfort those in the way that only you can comfort? As we believe that you could have prevented the thing that they needed comfort for? And would you meet them in this moment and be close to the brokenhearted? Because of who you are and what it is that you do. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray all of this. And together we say amen and amen and amen. Friends, we're going to sing to finish our time today, together today. And so I want to invite you to stand to your feet and be reminded that Christ is your firm foundation, that he is the rock on which that you can stand. And when everything around you is shaken, that you can have your eyes open to the who God is and what God does, that he is a God who is for you and not against you, that he is a God that hears from you. He is a God that you don't have to be afraid to 
share your doubts with, to share your questions with. He is a God that you can always run to. He's not a God who says, you again. He's not a God who says, this again. He is a God who invites you to say what you need to say, to sing what you need to sing. He is a God that invites you to stand next to him, to lay everything down in front of him, to bring all of the burdens before him. So as we sing this song, may we sing it loud, may we sing it with all sorts of courage and strength, and may we sing it with confidence, because hope is placing your confidence in God. Friends, let's sing this song together.